Hey everybody, welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, really excited about today's show. Dan Brereton joins us. Dan, of course, uh, the great artist and creator of The Nocturnals, his creator-owned thing that he uh, made in the 90s and continues to revisit. An Art of the Nocturnals book is coming out from the Hero Initiative. Dan is here to talk about that, but also about the re-release of the Thrill Killer books. Do you remember those? Great Elseworlds stuff from Dan and Howard Chaikin, kind of repositioning Dick Grayson, Barbara Gordon, and Bruce Wayne as uh, characters... Uh, of the 60s, and not in that Adam West sort of way, but a very cool, slick, uh, swinging 60s interpretation. Think Elvis as Dick Grayson and uh, Anne Margaret as Barbara Gordon, and that gives you an idea of uh, kind of the slickness of Thrill Killer. Unbelievable character designs and a great tight Howard Chaikin crime script. This was a great series of books. And it's something I really hope DC comes back and revisits. Uh, Maybe with the re-release of Thrill Killer, they've gone back to it as far as uh, toys and statues. A lot of merch has been made in the Thrill Killer universe, and it would be great. There is an unwritten Thrill Killer, or I should say unpublished Thrill Killer script out there that I know Dan would love to paint. Part of our conversation today, and also just a great chance to catch up with Dan Brereton. So I hope you enjoy it on today's Word Below. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, as always, for your continued support via Patreon. Uh, it's uh, very helpful when uh, things get tough equipment-wise or it's time to travel to conventions, and the League of Word Balloon listeners has my back. If you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon, help the cause out. If you think what I do here is uh, worth your while and worth, I don't know, a dollar a month, uh, the price of a comic book a month, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon and uh, sign up to subscribe there. Word Balloon's free. It'll always be free. But again, if you want to help the cause out, that's where you can go or click on the ad at uh, wordballoon.com, the Patreon ad. But thank you very much for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at instocktrades.com. Let's take a look at some of the stuff that is available from Dan Brereton at instocktrades.com. Lots of Nocturnals product at instocktrades.com. You can get Nocturnals Legend, the hardcover. It's 25% off, $29.99. But you can also get uh, The Goddess and the Monster, a great story that he wrote and uh, drew from Image. 42% off, $17.39. There's the Nocturnals Volume 2, Dark Forever and Other Tales. Um, The hardcover edition is 42% off, $20.29. There's also Red Sonia Travels, a great story that he did with Mike Avon Omic. Uh, the trade paperback is 30% off. It's $20.99. And also there's uh, The Psycho, a great story that he did with James Hudnall. We've mentioned that in our conversation as well. Uh, this is a great uh, early DC thing that now is uh, coming out through Image. 42% off, $10.43. Some of the great stuff from Dan Brereton at InStockTrades.com. Check it out for yourself. Great books at great prices. InStockTrades.com You know, when I was getting uh, Word Balloon started, uh, my buddy Tom Nagovin, and I mentioned this in the interview, put out uh, a comic book-sized transcribed little magazine of Word Balloon featuring a bunch of conversations. The lead transcription was a conversation I had with Dan Brereton. Lots of Nocturnals art. The cover was there and Nocturnals. Beautiful stuff. Dan's just a, he, he draws beautiful women, he draws uh, very iconic superheroes, a very distinct painted style, and uh, if, if you know your Dan Brereton and stuff, he did uh, 
stuff uh, on The Punisher with Rick Remender and Iron Fist with uh, Fraction. Uh, really, really great stuff. And uh, I really enjoy uh, anytime Dan Burden uh, puts his uh, pen to paper and starts drawing and starts writing, too. He's got great ideas as a writer and an artist. So it's great to welcome him back and hear how things are going in the creator-owned comic book world with a vet that has been uh, doing his own thing for well over 20 years. Dan Brereton on today's Word Balloon. Really happy to welcome Dan Brereton back to Word Balloon, a key figure in the history of Word Balloon, and we'll get into that, but uh, welcome back, Dan. Great to talk to you. Great to be back, John. It's good to hear your voice, buddy. I know it's been a while. Every now and then we get to see each other for like, you know, 30 seconds at a convention. Uh, yeah, I'm usually San Diego. I mean, I'm fifty fifty for this year. I don't know if I'm going to make it this year. I got to be honest. Uh, oh, uh, I uh, I am completely out this year. Oh, there and you I'll go. I'll tell you why. Tell me. So, I guess it was last year. It's sort of like I, I just this thought popped into my head, and I was at the show, and uh, I was like, "How many years have I been doing this?" Because the first time I ever got an airplane was to go to that fly to that show. Interesting. Yeah, I flew from Reno because I was living in the Sierras, wow. uh, the Sierra okay. Nevadas. Okay, with my, you know, with my parents, I believe. Uh, I think it was in the summer when I was in between, you know, I was in between uh, semesters at art school. Okay, and I, someone had said, "Hey, you should, you should check out San Diego." I had just done my first stuff for Eclipse Comics. This is back in '88. Wow! So Fantastic. I get on a plane. Yeah, I know it's crazy. And uh, so that's the first year I'd gone to San Diego. And so last year, I realized that this is my 30th consecutive year wow. of doing this show. And it's changed. I mean, oh, God, yeah. You know how much it's changed. I mean, ridiculous. Yeah, man. In, tw- in the 12 years I've gone, it's changed. And I can't imagine the perspective of 1988 to 2017. Absolutely. Yeah, imagine not. someone who's been to every single one. I've, I know a few people who've been to every single convention. And I, it's, you know, I just, that boggles the mind. But so I thought, you know what? You know, I'm just not, I hate to say this, but I'm not digging the show like I used to. Some things have changed um, that have made it less <clears throat> lucrative. Okay. Uh, less necessary. Um, there was a time when you were networking with uh, editors, yeah. publishers, yeah. writers, um, a lot more than I do now. It seems like now when I go, I stay at my table because I got to pay for that table and I got to pay for the hotel. Yep. And so I'm there working. Oh, no, I'm it's just working. It's a major investment. And I know yeah. table space uh, continues to shrink and isn't cheap. And nope. uh, no, I understand. And you're competing with bells and Everything whistles. Everything in the world. Right. I mean, you know, uh, video games have really kind of uh, muscled uh, in Manifest Destiny their. Uh, their uh, presence at San Diego to like, yeah, here's about a f- fifth of the con, maybe a fourth of the con, where that's all video games. And, of course, yeah. the, you know, the television networks are, are there in full force in a way they never were back in the old days. And, uh, yeah, no, I get it, man. I mean, because I do always, from a fan perspective, say, because it's easy for people who don't go and go, well, it's not about comics anymore. And it's like, oh, no, 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 comics are there. And they yeah. and they have plenty of panels promoting comics, comic book history, and you get one-of-a-kind panels in San Diego that just don't happen in any of the other major comic cities. But all that said, no, everything you just said is 100% correct, and it is. It's a major investment, and you've got to, you know, really balance, is this going to 
generate more revenue for me? Or is it just a, hey, look at me, I'm at San Diego and making a little bit of money, but might be at a loss? You never know. I started to get worried when uh, about four years ago, five years ago, maybe even more, the parents of of the students that my son goes to school with would say, we want to go to Comic-Con. And I would go, oh, no, what is going on? Because, and that was the death knell, man, because when mom and pop America also want to go to Comic-Con, guess what? You get what you have now, which is hotel rooms are ridiculously hard to pin down. They were hard before. Now they're nearly impossible. Absolutely. Tickets to get in, nearly impossible. Yep. This doesn't affect me so much, but it affects the base right. of people who come in for comics. They love everything else. But they came there first for comics, yep. and those are the people that would come and buy artwork and buy your book, right? And they want to get a sketch, and they want to talk too. Which conventions are about convening? It's about talking with people, which is the one thing I still it's still important to me about going to comic conventions. It's the most important thing about a comic convention, whether it's San Diego or just a local show, is sitting and talking about comics and art and telling stories and hearing other people just become raconteurs or or give you a personal vibe about what they're about whether it's a, a you know a, a someone who comes in and is a reader of your work or someone who's a um, you know a contemporary and uh, that to me is the most important thing about doing a show but when it becomes financially sketchy <laughs> you got to sort of like okay so i thought i'm let's say 30 years in a row this is what I said to myself last summer. Year 31, I'm going to celebrate by not going. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. So, well, I'm not going. And this is weird, too, because I found out that uh, two other uh, friends of mine who have had booths at the show for years and years are either this is their last year or they're not going to do it either. Right. No, it's, so it, it's, it's tough, man. And I know in Artist Alley, if you just have a table, uh, the, the table space you're given – is like at least only two thirds or even a third of what you'd get at another convention, and they, yeah. it's really yeah I, I no I get it man and I and I sympathize and also yeah I mean you shrug I mean unfor- you know things change and like you said there is yeah. that element of convention goers that are really there for the spectacle and don't buy don't buy things they're really there to you know and I understand and I think especially given the price of a Comic Con ticket you do want free entertainment or some form of a free experience sure. that you could do. But yeah, you know, yeah, you're right, man. I mean, uh, the the hardcore, you know, comic convention people that are coming for comic books and stuff like you said, they're people that want to buy art, they want to buy, you know, comics from you or they want their their comics autographed and, you know, yeah, they're they're buying into they're already a paying paying fans. And that's it's not necessary, but it, like you said, they're getting squeezed out by people who are just well, I watch the Flash on TV. I want to go to Comic Con, and it's so yeah. and, and especially Steve Amell, who plays Green Arrow on on the CW show. You know, he's created his own brand of conventions that really are autograph shows for the media, and there are never and he calls them comic conventions, but that's ironic because there are never comic book artists. There might be conceptual artists for the TV shows there, but it is so insular and in-house of let's have all the CW actors and producers and writers at this show. They're heroes and villains cons. And they're, 
it, you know, that's what they're called. And again, it's it's fine, but it's not a real Comic Con. And you know, again, right. you know, the m- mom and dad that are watching TV, they don't know the difference, and it's okay. But yeah, no, it's it's really the whole the whole nature of the convention economics has changed so dramatically in the last ten years, and especially even more so, I'd say, in the last five years. And yeah, it's a it's a it's a new world. So I think you're right. I think I think creators have to choose their conventions very wisely. And I do think, thankfully, there are shows that are very proud that they are comic book centric and are like, yeah, we might sure. have some movie and TV people, but we're really more about comics and stuff. And I, I'm, I'm pleased to say, I would say C2E2 is one of them. Definitely uh, Emerald City is for one of the bigger shows. Mm-hmm. It's very comic book centric. And, you know, people sure. know. But yeah, New York, I mean, San Diego is San Diego and New York, it's about 50-50. But I know people that, uh, you know, set up there and are spending a lot of money and they're like, we're getting a bunch of locals that don't want to buy a thing. They're just there to look at stuff, and never. And it's a spectacle. It's uh, yes. you know, it's like yes. the, it's like a gigantic, ridiculously over the top shopping mall, and comics are kind of sidelined. Totally, man. And uh, you know, it's um, it's unfortunate, but I've noticed that there are a couple of shows coming up in my area in Sacramento area that are not comic shows. They're like you're like you're describing, and I I wasn't familiar with that, but now I guess they're they're showing up here too. There you go. And I could care less about them. I mean, have feel the same great. Way. Maybe maybe they'll maybe there'll be a divide, and more comic book fans will start to support these comic book uh, centric shows more. Like, and yeah, Emerald City is great. I haven't been to C two E two. I'd really like to go. I'm going to be doing uh, Wizard World Chicago in, in August. Oh, maybe hey. I'll see you there. Okay, you might yeah. you may not because I'll be honest. I'm not a <laughs> big fan of the Wizard people. I don't think. Uh... Well, I've never done that show um, in Chicago. I've done it in Sacramento, um, and it, I've seen it dwindle since they started. Understood. Well, let's try and get together when you are in, though, for like a meal or something like that. If I don't um, actually Hero go to the Initiative, show yeah, that would be great. Um, okay, good. Hero Initiative, uh, which we all know is the uh, charity that helps comic creators in need. Yes, um, they are actually bringing me out. That's fantastic to the Chicago show. Um, my oldest daughter lives in the Chicago area. Oh, I didn't remember that. And I haven't that. seen Very her. Cool. Yeah, Lindsay, I haven't seen her in a, a few years, so it's going to be really great to go and, and visit with her. Oh, and, that's great. And spend time with her and her husband and stuff. So, um, yeah, Halloween Girl is married. Yeah. <laughs> lives oh, my in God. The suburbs. Wow. That's insane. <laughs> Holy shit. And I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that because another thing, Dan, I said it at the introduction, uh, your crucial role in uh, the formative years of Word Balloon um, you were kind enough to allow uh, some uh, nocturnal material that uh, when you were working with Century uh, Guild and Tom and Tom Nagovin to put, uh-huh. that we put together this little promo magazine, yeah, that featured an interview with you and also uh, transcripts of other interviews I'd done in the very first year or two of Word Balloon. It came out in two thousand six. Yeah, I got the cover. <laughs> there you go, man. That's beautiful. I uh, no, yeah, that I, was fun. I thank you, and it, I'll tell you every now and then people uh, show up with an issue or two uh, for me to sign, which cracks me up. Oh, that's cool. And it, no, it was a great calling card and helped really legitimize uh, Word Balloon in its you know first year or two to other uh, creators and publishers of oh no, this is what I'm doing, and these are transcripts of the audio interviews that I do. And uh, yeah, man, you and Bendis was in there, and God. Um, uh, there's a Bernie Wrightson ad for Bad Planet, the project that uh, he did with Thomas Jane. Yeah. Um, 
the the Punisher for people who don't remember from uh, the first uh, Punisher mo- uh-huh. Marvel movie, or I guess the second. Thomas Jane isn't he in, isn't he in the Expanse? He now? is, and you know that's a great show, and I'm so happy for him because he's a troubled guy, man. You know, I mean, it's publicly known he's got some addiction issues and stuff, and I'm mm. really happy that I'm, I'm I was happy that he got on this show. Unfortunately, I'm hearing that it got canceled, and this is the last season. I heard it was really good. I it's haven't excellent. seen it yet, but I've been t- people have been telling me I got to watch it. It's, but that's it's too bad. It's very much in the realm of Battlestar Galactica, and when yeah. Babylon Five, from a story standpoint, was really smart sci-fi. It's really, really good. A lot of big kind of uh, political ideas in, from an interplanetary standpoint and everything. Uh-huh. It's no very smart show. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of some of the others that you know either. Um, Oh, God, I want to say Nick Darrington, or if not someone else uh, who was working with uh, B. Claymore on Hawaiian Dick gave me some uh, art pages and stuff. So, yeah, it was really, it was very nice, the Word Balloon magazine. And like I said, you were a part of it. So you were on then. It's the kind of a magazine that in the 90s it would have been a monthly book that, would have, <laughs> that people would have bought and it would have actually had a, a following. Not, I mean, you remember, do you remember um, there was a book called Noir Quarterly, which was, uh, they were a comic, uh, comic artist would do some of the, 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 the covers and some of the interior uh, illustrations, but it wasn't uh, a comic at all. It was comic sized, but it was short um, crime fiction. Oh, that's fantastic! And uh, I actually wrote a story and did a cover for one issue, the last issue that never came out, unfortunately. But um, uh, it, th- there were a lot more kind of um, oh yeah ancillary publications that I think think were very va- were were great, you know. And uh, Word Bloom definitely would have been. Oh, that's in funny. That category. No, I'm just laughing. And because... I think that I think that your legitimacy was established for me when I met you and had a conversation oh, thanks, with you, um, because it was clear right off the bat that you were. I felt like you were a boon to the. And I'm not saying this to to kiss your butt because I'm already on the show <laughs> and say what I want. You say but you uh, want. <laughs> but I mean, I felt like. Like yeah, this is the guy we we need a guy like this. We need a John Suntress. We oh, need a, nice, a person who's like a pro, obviously a professional in broadcasting and knows how to do an interview and knows comics backwards and forwards. Yeah, I'm a fan. You no, know, I'm coming a and going. Fan. Thank you, man, and I and truly. So I, thank you for having me on. No, it's always a pleasure, dude. And I, uh, it's funny because you're like, yeah, I only I was only on once. I'm like, no, no, no. And also, I remembered uh, another time we recorded a panel with you and uh, Jill Thompson. Uh, in Orlando. Oh yeah, in Orlando. Oh, you recorded that. Where is there a recording somewhere yeah. that you can erase? And no, I'm just kidding. Oh can no, you erase the recording. <laughs> it's on the feed. Uh, it's on the feed. But it has been a I long have time. Spoken of that panel a couple of times in my life. Um, <laughs> Jill was on a tear. She had a lot to uh, say. You know, I was giving uh, I was giving um, Phil a little bit of a hard time, but it's just because I well, love the right, guy Phil so Noto. much. Phil, you know, but Phil Noto was on the panel as well. That's right. Phil is, I love Phil, but I don't know if he loves me anymore um, after that panel. But uh, um, yeah, I do remember that. Where were we? Orlando. Oh, right. And it right, was right, the right, FX right. cons. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, Sometimes panels should be more than an hour long. And I'll tell you, I do, I do a lot of panels where the, the subject, uh, the topic is a little soft. And I'm not saying it was for that because I don't even remember what the topic was. But it's a little soft. And what will happen is... Uh, we start telling stories, and um, I feel like when you're sitting in a room where you're talking to industry people, and they've got stories to tell you that they'll never be written on the internet, they'll never be published anywhere, and they're probably not going to hear anywhere else. I feel like that is right there, definitely worth worth coming and Absolutely. sitting down and I listening feel the to. Same way. 
So I have no problem digressing if I feel like there's something interesting to digress about. You know. Um, yeah. No, I agree, man. But I uh, yeah, so we we started this whole thread by talking about uh, conventions, whether or not you were you were said you were fifty fifty in Comic Con, um, and I feel like that's that's how a lot of people are now. They're fifty fifty about it. Um, someone asked in a thread on Facebook recently who was going, and I was really surprised at the amount of people that that said they were passing this year. And it didn't make me feel so bad about the fact that I was taking a break. Um, I'll be back next year, but I probably will as well. And I mean, that's the um, thing, man. It's just no, it's sheer economics on my part, man. You know, sure. I mean, I'm, sure. I'm, 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 as I told you off the air, I'm cobbling together a couple part-time things that I'm doing, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Word Balloon is one of them. And certainly, um, uh, and people know, listeners know that I'm doing uh, traffic reporting for the CBS news station here in Chicago, and. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like, well, I don't have a full-time job. If I leave, then that means that's five days that I'm not yes. working at yes. you know the radio job. And it's like, mm-hmm. that hits me in the wallet. And I can't... Last year, I was very lucky. I got a sponsorship to go out and uh, got paid to do some video last year. And uh, that, that made the difference of me going last year. Or I would have had to cancel last year uh, as well. But yeah, no, yeah. like you said, I mean, I've been going uh, 10 years straight. And it was time for like I'm like well if I need to take a break I can say I've done it the last ten years and and yeah that's okay that's fine but no I agree with you and I'm glad you said that about the panels that's why I do word balloon because you know a panel will end with like usually within 45 or 50 minutes of its time at the convention and that's what I love about word balloon is no we can get into some interesting stories and hey if we end up having a two hour conversation cool great and I think everyone gets a lot of interesting stories you know Bendis comes on and and. We get going, and Brian's got you know a million different stories and stuff. Sure. So he's sure. he's always good. Rick's Rick's always good when he comes on. I got a couple of Bendis stories. <laughs> <laughs> we can get into those as well. But yeah, man, it's uh, it's maybe um, maybe sometime. All right, no problem, man. But yeah, <laughs> no, it's uh, so so no, really, that's kind of what I hope for is to have that comic convention panel experience, but even more so where. Don't worry. There's not some volunteer in the back with a sign saying, "All right, guys, wrap it up five minutes." Yeah, you yeah. Know? I've done some radio shows. Uh, there's a couple of radio shows I've done that are comic book sort of pop culture shows. And man, you get started, and before you know it, you're done. Totally. And it's just like poof. And I've done some TV spots here locally on uh, Good Day, Good Day Sacramento. Cool. Um, and which is a great uh, morning uh, show that's run seven seven days a week, and great staff and. One of the, the, the on-air personalities, Cody Stark, is – by the way, it's his real name. Um, huge fan of comics, super like a supportive, uh, positive guy, really funny, really funny. And uh, he's had me on several times. I mean a half a dozen times or something. I've come on to talk about things stretching from Nocturnals to Batman or whatever, cool. Kickstarters, things like that. Excellent. And uh, man, we get rolling and just as we get rolling, the segment's over. Totally. <laughs> Um, the last time I was on, we were doing a live remote from a comic shop, and uh, I got I started to talk about Hero Initiative and how they've helped people like Gene Colan and sure. stuff over the years. Yes. And I didn't even get like half of the first sentence out, and and, I, and they were done. <laughs> I told, dude, I know it's uh, uh, television segments are three minutes or six minutes at most, and uh, yeah. and then they got to you know it's commercials, got to pay the bills, man. And My problem was I got too comfortable with because I I know him now personally and so I got too comfortable and I forgot like you know we're on this sort of shoestring time sort of 
yeah and it yeah. was uh it caught me off guard and i was like and, I, and it was funny because i took it personally like ah, oh, i didn't have a good appearance because he had to cut me off in mid-sentence and um so being able to talk on podcasts is great although i do still feel like i have to kind of try and keep myself more on track you know because i have i have a tendency i think it's because you know i spend my days alone in the studio sure. i mean you know, I have a family of kids and wife and everything, <clears throat> and I love spending time with them. I love that we're all together in the house, um, that I can hear them downstairs when I'm working. <laughs> and if I need to holler, I can holler and we can we can hear each other. But I but I really am alone in the studio um, and with the TV on Netflix or, you know, whatever it is, news or documentaries or something you can watch with your, your your ears while your your eyes are glued to what I you're doing you, <laughs> and uh unless you're writing which of course i have to have everything turned off i can't have any I, I can't even really have music on i have to just sort of be inside that page but uh i i tend to uh internalize a lot of stuff so everything's an internal monologue everything's an internal discussion so when i get out amongst people or i get into a situation like this I tend to sort of just, you know, <laughs> and I can be a little too much for people. No, um, no. So I, I do try. I do really make an effort to kind of rein that in as much as I can. And I think it's just that exuberance of being excited about being part of this industry sure. and this uh, this group of people. I think that's one of the things about Facebook that's really saved a lot of us freelancers is we've we have a we have a community now. It used to be CompuServe. I don't know if you remember CompuServe. Of course, the absolutely. forums on there. Yes, indeed. The, the famous comic book forum on CompuServe was uh, was where I learned how how to not get into flame wars with people. Yes, and be more diplomatic. Um, but Facebook has just been great because you can connect with everybody. And um, it, I, there are people who have said, "Oh, I'm 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 sick of Facebook. It's too negative." Or I, if I didn't have Facebook, I think Facebook is is has really enabled my career so much in the last decade i can't even tell you i believe it um, well yeah it's a community you, know, I, you can gather your fans to come to you much like the message boards of CompuServe and other things prior to yeah. facebook and twitter no no and i agree man look it is much like anything these things can get toxic they can get very political certainly in today's yeah. environment and i and i get it and i and that's why i try with my pages to keep it light and like you were saying about you know things you can watch while you're drawing or stuff read this book watch this documentary oh my god have you seen this show and then of course promoting yeah. word balloon as well but yeah it's like hey let's keep it light i mean i you know i'm i i've you know have my own politics as well and i've sure but like you said too i kind of learned in the message board years to kind of not get into wars with people anymore because it's not worth it and it's it's yeah. it's better to try and be positive, and like you said, no. The great thing about social media is gathering uh, uh, your followers, and that way that enables you to, hey guys, I'm about to do a Kickstarter campaign for a new, th you know, a new thing. Get ready and and alert your fans and and let them know about the new content that you're making. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really do. I mean, I first started. I got on Facebook ostensibly because I had relatives who I hadn't seen in a long sure. time, and we were <laughs> we were going to send each other. You know, family photos, sure. which we did, and then I started getting these friend requests, and I didn't really understand Facebook that well then. Um, I started getting these friend requests from people I didn't know, and then I realized, oh, it's because these people are into comics, and so I started accepting them. And before I knew it, I had all these strangers on there, <clears throat> and I'm pretty close to five thousand people right now, and, <laughs> and I'm very, 
but I could have I could have hit the five thousand marks. I don't know the first year, but I was just more kind of more discerning, and I would go through and I would look at people's pages and go, okay, this person's into comics, you know. And yeah. now I I have to be even more discerning because if I do happen to post something political that I don't see as being incendiary. It, it doesn't matter how how innocuous you think yep. something. You could just say something like, "I like President Obama." And, oh my goodness! Yep. The people who never post but are are on your friends list will come out of the woodwork and tell you exactly why you're wrong. And so that got to be really hard because it's not like I back off from arguments or fights. Sure. Um, and so I've had to really try and be as diplomatic as possible. I try not to get into it with people. I also try not to post that stuff anywhere near as much as I used to. It's really hard during the election year. I understand. But when you are when you want to when you want to promote excitement and interest in what you're doing creatively, it really doesn't mix. The politics don't mix. Agreed. And that's why I have several pages on Facebook Smart. that I can kind of um, be wholly creative about and um, and just talking about the work and stuff. Like on Instagram it's just the work. It's just me posting pictures of my work on the Instagram and um don't really uh, interact as much on Instagram as I do in Facebook, but yeah, there's. I think we're all. We're, it's a learning curve that we're all involved with Agreed. right now. Agreed. Um, and uh, when something like Thrill Killer happens, uh, Thrill Killer coming back into print, um, or having a new Nocturnals project, new Nocturnals book out, something like that, I I get excited and I I really want to get the word out as much as I can. And to, I found that you can't even get the word out enough anymore on Facebook. Agreed. Um, and that's because of Facebook itself and the right. way that they inhibit posts and things like yep. that. So you have to find ways around that too. No, agree, you know, If man. you're talking about a Kickstarter, don't ever mention the word Kickstarter. If you put up a Kickstarter link, go through Bitly and shorten the link and then put that up and call it your campaign. Don't say Kickstarter. I've heard this and I've heard that, yeah. It, Frank, it inhibits the post. That's what I've heard. I've heard Facebook is yeah. literally kind of – Holding back on promoting Kickstarter, which is they give you a certain amount, and then yeah, and they but they want you. Well, when you're on your 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 public your your sort of your own personal page, they don't do it as much. But anything that's a public page, they want you to boost, so they want you to buy advertising. Which right. their advertising isn't that expensive, really, and you can reach more people. But the thing is, is are you reaching more people? They say that they tell you how many people you reached. They tell you impressions and clicks and things like that. I guess you have to trust them. I gotta, I gotta be um, honest, man, and I'm being completely candid. I have not mm-hmm. found uh, that helpful to me. Kickstarter, or rather, uh, Facebook's ads—they uh, talk a good game, and then you buy the ad, and it's like, well, they, yeah, you got an extra hundred people, and it's like, well, yeah. gee, thanks. Uh, I really don't know either. <laughs> I, I, I really can't. I can't really tell, you know. But I, I do know that when I announce a Kickstarter on my public page. Um, I uh, my personal page, I should say, my public page. On my personal page, the the you can see the uh, the uh, immediacy and the efficacy of that right away. Um, and when you watch how the Kickstarter starts to go, okay. Um, and then as things go further along, there is there's a huge drop off and stuff. That's why huh. they say that uh, you know that's why a shorter campaign doesn't hurt you. You know, running a campaign that's less than 30 days is actually probably a good thing Understood. for some other reasons like drop off. People drop out in the last week and things like that, you know, for various reasons. Huh. Um, but, uh, you, you know, um, 
You want to talk about more about Facebook? Well, no, actually, I, want to, I was going to say, let's get into Let's get it. You mentioned Thrill yeah. Killer coming back. Let's talk about that. When was yeah. it? Because I, I didn't open the Wikipedia page to give me my information. I'm relying on my own memory, my own fond memories okay. of Thrill Killer. When was it first? Well, actually, let's get to the beginnings of Thrill Killer. How was the okay. project presented to you? So um, I was doing a ton of work with DC in the 90s. I think they were, I would say, 80% of the stuff I did in the nineties was with DC. Um, and, uh, I had just finished nocturnals for Malibu. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, the, the thing I'd done prior to that was legends of the world's finest with Walt Simonson. Walt Simonson wrote, um, a mini, a mini series that I painted it was Batman, Superman, legends of the world's finest. And that came out around the time I just started working nocturnals for Malibu for Vera line. And, uh, so this is all so like 94-ish basically, or 93? Uh, I think, I think 93 is when the whole thing started to come together. Got and it. I think that's when, uh, world's legends of world's finest came out. And that was my second big thing with, uh, with DC. So I'd done the psycho, which was a creator owned thing with Jim Hudnall. Yes. It was the first thing I did with DC. Then, uh, you know, um, got into doing, working on their characters and I was working with my Carlin and Carlin said, um, you know, what do you want to do? I said, I want to do Batman. He goes, well, you know, I'm the Superman editor. So if you do a Batman thing, it's going to have Superman in it too. I said, sure. Great. He said, who do you want to work with writer wise? And I said, um, how about, you know, like maybe Walt Simonson. He goes, okay. Wow. So Walter said, okay. And I had met Walt in, uh, and Wheezy in, in Glasgow in 90, 90, I think it was 90 or 92 at a show. And, uh, <laughs> Walter paid me a great compliment. He said, uh, I, I want to break your hand. <laughs> <laughs> which is the thing you say when you really, you know, when you want to appreciate you know, somebody else's a compliment art. to another artist. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And I said, thanks, man. That's, that, that's high praise, obviously coming from you. That's awesome. Um, and, um, so I was like, how about Walter? And he said, let's talk to him. And he said, yes. So Walter and I did that book and that was uh, so much fun to do. And I learned a lot. I even, I learned how to love Superman. I learned, uh, a lot about Superman then and um, I fell in love with the character and the funny thing was while I was doing that book the whole time I was doing that book they were they were getting ready to kill him off and they were killing him off and <laughs> and I would say and it was so strange because I'm pretty yeah. young at this point so I'm like working on this whole Superman Batman thing it has nothing to do with what's going on in the monthlies right. and I'm watching the whole thing unfold because Carlin's my editor and we're talking like several times a week um and uh, it was really strange because I thought, well, okay, I just didn't get it back then. It was just, it was kind of a new thing, you know, killing off a major sure. character like that, like Superman, you know. Um, but after I finished that, I uh, wait before you leave. I want to ask because yeah, what what was either told to you or discussed, or what what was it about Superman that clicked in your head and said, oh wait, he's cool? What was the aha moment? Uh, I think it was. Part, a lot of it has to do with Mike and Mike's uh, affinity for the character and this feeling that, like, if you didn't like Superman, like, why don't you like Superman? He's so great, you know? And, like, I was getting the books and stuff. I was getting all the, you know, the comps uh -huh. and I was sure. reading them and um, and really getting into it. And then I started getting into uh, – remembering, rather, the fact that I was hugely into the, the, the TV show when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Good. So good I start is. picking back up on that stuff watching those old shows and loving the way that George Reeves was kind of like, kind of like a, you know, 
this sort of wry kind of um, oh yeah uh, Clark Kent yes I and love, Superman as well. God, I'm glad you said that. I feel the same way, man. Clark Kent on Adventures of Superman is a much cooler guy than the milksop, the OG Lois. I'm feeling coolest. faint. He's an investigative yeah. reporter, and that's I know that's what's what Brian is leaning into with his current uh, run on Superman that he's just getting started with, and it's like yeah, man. No, Clark Kent is a detective, and he's a smart. And also, the police respect him on that show. And I always love like his yeah. with him and uh, Inspector Henderson. And Inspector Henderson's withholding some information. It's like, all right, now don't give me this nonsense, Bill. Tell me what's going on. All right, Kent. <laughs> you know, and it was, and also when they're in trouble, Jimmy and Lois, they always say they don't say, "I wish Superman was here." They say, "I wish Mr. Kent were here. He'd know what mm-hmm. to do." Yeah. So that yeah. always came through in the show. Go on. He just me. always had this kind of head shaking moments with those guys. Yes. And um <laughs> he was yeah, he was a, he was a great noir character, I feel yes. like. And um it's funny because you completely overlook the fact that he was an alien. That's the one thing I think that wouldn't have worked in a 50s TV show that he was an alien. Agreed. So he's portraying a very American guy. Uh, but if you look at it, if you if you kind of in your mind think, well, he's an alien, he's kind of looking at the entire human race as like, look at these knuckleheads. <laughs> okay, so I'm just—he's just humoring people left and right. Do you, do you, you know? think that? Do you think he's a Kryptonian first and foremost? And not... uh, back then, I don't, I don't, I don't. Think well, so, but I'm but just I, saying, like, I like your, to, I like to, but your interpretation of Superman—would he be more of an uh, alien? It's kind of a thing that, like you, I didn't think about when I was a kid at all that he was an alien. Sure. I didn't think about that. I was when I was a kid, I was thinking about the fact that um, he could be doing a hell of a lot more in this TV show as Superman. Is what I kept thinking, <laughs> and not realizing it was about budget, you know. Yes. But um, no, but I You're mean, right. you know, watching that, I, it's funny because when the first World's Finest uh, miniseries came out, that uh, the, well, the sort of the the prestige miniseries that um, Steve Rude drew. Yes. And boy, I'm sorry, I can't remember who wrote it. I can't but, either, um, but I know exactly what you're talking about, so go on. But Steve's stuff, Steve was very much um, inspired by the Fleischer cartoons, and I feel like I was more inspired by the TV show, um, you know, and uh, that was sort of my touchstone for Superman, and then and then getting into reading the actual monthly books and enjoying those quite a bit, um, and learning how to draw the character, learning how to draw the S logo, um, Not trying to redesign him or make him something he isn't, but really trying to bring out uh, the best in that character. And there was there were a lot of people that came before me who I felt like I had to pay respects to, and that's the truth. I hear you, man. Um, I remember I did this one splash page of Superman with a bunch of characters on and stuff, and uh, and it was uh, I was in the middle of working on the book, and Paul Levitz came by. And I had not met Paul Levitz before. And um, he came by and I said, uh, so um, I actually have some pages here from the super, you know, the, the world's finest thing. Do you want to see him? He goes, yeah, sure. So he's looking them over and uh, and I felt like, you know, OK, this is the test because, you know, if he doesn't like him, then I'm in trouble. And he looked at all this stuff and he went, cute. <laughs> how'd, how'd you take cute? Uh, I, I, it was, I hadn't, I was nonplussed. I just like, I didn't know what to think of that. And it really worried me. Sure. And it really <laughs> messed with my head because I just wasn't expecting that. What does that mean? And I was like, damn it. This stuff isn't supposed to be cute. Right. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be kind of dark. The story right. is dark. Um, 
and then later on, I was assured to not worry about that. Well, that, that was a Paul Levitt's thing that he would say. Kind of a non-committal <laughs> sort of, yeah. All right. Well, and also you figure he's seen, you know, ten thousand or more uh, pages of, yeah. of every character. Yeah. So, by so the way, real fast, cute. real fast, uh, Dave Gibbons. Shame on us. Was the uh, writer on that Steve Rude, uh, Dave Gibbons? Ah, oh, that's, right. that's so right. The great he did a Dave great Gibbons. job too. Of course he did. That's awesome. That's a great pairing. Those two. Absolutely. You know? Well, that's why I didn't want it to go by and say, "Oh yeah, we." Yeah, we both are I'm really glad you you pulled that out. <laughs> that was good, John. I love Dave. I love Dave. He's the man. I love Dave. He's, well, and, seriously, and, and Steve is great too. Well, and, uh, uh, Steve's amazing, and also seriously, Walt Simonson and Dave Gibbons. I literally always say the two nicest guys in comics. Oh hell yes! They're, they're just so and wonderfully... Gene, well. Still, still living. Let's say, yeah, because oh, no, was right. Gene uh, Col- the king. Gene Colan was incredibly nice to me. Sweetest guy. Absolutely, ever. I agree with you. <laughs> um, we could have a whole. We could talk. You know, if you ever do a Gene Colan uh, tribute uh, podcast, I would love to be on that to, to, That's a good to talk idea. about Gene. You know, maybe we should do that because uh, he was a wonderful man. We were friends, and I love that guy. Agreed. Miss him and, and Adrian every day. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, so I went. So after that, I. You know, I, I thanked DC for letting me do this book by going off and doing something with someone else. Sure. At the time, I didn't see it that way, but I and I don't know if that's really how they took it. But I think I feel like Carlin may have felt a little like chagrin at the fact that I went off and did this other thing. But I had a, I had been I had been working my sketchbooks and my notebooks with this idea that would become Nocturnals, and I really wanted to do it, and. I didn't. It didn't even occur to me that that DC would ever even like have said yes to it at that time, and so I pitched Nocturnals to uh, Dark Horse, and then it, and, but it ended up at Bravira, uh, Malibu, mm-hmm. and uh, that was uh, part of this group of creator-owned, um, uh, this sort of creator-owned group with uh, Walter Simonson, uh, Howard Chaikin, Gil Kane, Stephen Grant, Marv Wolfman. Um, Jim Starlin, uh, there, there, there were others that came, that came on afterwards, but it was quite a group and we were all uh, represented by Harris Miller, sort of entertainment, entertainment attorney who had sort of put this whole thing together. And so I was invited to join up with this thing and I was like, okay, let's do it. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing in that group, but, but okay, you know, um, if they'll have me, sure. So uh, Howard and I got to know each other a little better that way, and when it came time for me to do a second Nocturnals, I think it was with – it was going to be with Dark Horse, and that turned into just a smaller kind of one-shot kind of thing called Witching Hour. Um, I was in the offices at DC talking with them, visiting, and – I had this idea for for doing um, this project that had just sort of come into my head, which was in Elseworlds, where Batgirl and Robin are the dynamic duo, and Bruce Wayne is a detective who works under Gordon, and uh, set like in the like in the sixties. And you have to imagine like Batgirl and Robin is kind of this swinging sort of Elvis Presley and Margaret yes. kind of yes. sort of Las group. Vegas. And which is yeah, if you want the inspiration. That is exactly how Howard and I kind of came together on this thing. Because <laughs> what happened was like I pitched this thing to Archie Goodwin. <clears throat> the late great Archie Goodwin. Yes. And um another also a contender for sweetest guy in comics, I might add. Cool. Um and uh 
I said, I think Howard would be the guy to write this thing. And uh, Archie agreed. So he put Howard and I together. We talked on the phone. We were both watching some. We were watching some movie on uh, on Turner Classic Mo- American on AMC because AMC used to be Turner Classic. Right. Turner Classic Movies used to be AMC. Right. Yeah. So we're both watching AMC. <laughs> and we're talking about the film. We're talking about Anne Margaret and Elvis Presley and and. I wish I could recount for you some of the stuff that we talked about in that in that conversation, some of the things Howard said, but I can't repeat them in a podcast. I really can't. <laughs> but they were, it was hilarious, and we were clicked in right off the bat on this thing. We knew exactly what we were talking about. Howard said, I think it should be sent right in 1961 because it's still kind of the 50s, and the 60s haven't really started yet with the skinny ties and you know Hugh Hefner and all this other stuff. Like He was so locked in, and I was like, yes, this is exactly why I, I thought he would be perfect for it. And so it just went from there, and it was just a juggernaut. There was no stopping it. Um, and then we did a second one. After Thrill Killer was done, that was a three-issue miniseries. We ended up doing Thrill Killer 62, which was a one-shot. And when that was finished, How- uh, Howard actually wrote uh, a, a, next, a, a third installment called Thrill Maker, which was set in the early 70s, where uh, Barbara Gordon moved to San Francisco. Oh, wow. And it had uh, a Green Arrow, Green Lantern sort of Thrill Killer world component to it. Um, and I, I, I guess he just had so much steam left over from writing Thrill Killer 62 that he had written this outline. And uh, Howard, I just talked to Howard like, I don't know, it was like maybe a month or so ago. And he didn't remember having written it. Hilarious. And uh, yeah, I said, well, I have it somewhere, I think. But I remembered it pretty well. Um, and I was excited about it. But then uh, by the time that we were working on Thrill Killer 62, Archie was uh, had been battling cancer for about a decade yeah. or close to a decade. And um, – his uh, assistant, um, his assistant editor Chuck Kim, was really our de facto editor on on Thrill Killer sixty two, and uh, so by the time we <clears throat> got around to wanting to do Thrill Maker, uh, Archie had passed away, and to be honest, there just weren't any editors over there who seemed like they wanted to pick up the torch. Uh, the, uh, from what I was made to understand was that you know um, with editors. It, it's uh, over the, at DC anyway at that time, I should say. Um, it was all about bringing in something new and, and bringing in something exciting. And I think there just wasn't enough oomph behind it then to to have anyone come sort of come and pick up the torch and 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 do and, and carry it forward. Because Howard and I would have been happy to do it. Sure. And um, there were lots of fans who were interested in, in seeing what other DC characters in a crime fiction universe where there are no superpowers would be like. Sure. No. It- and we would talk about like. Who's Clark Kent in the Thrill Killer universe? Oh, interesting. What's, what's he about? Interesting, sure. You know? Well, and I, I so we, we is there a chance? Go ahead. I was going to ask you, given that they're republishing. I'm assuming this this new collection will have all four. Uh, th- you know, it'll have the three issues of of the original Thrill Killer, and then also Thrill Killer sixty two. Yes. So it so the entire thing. So would uh, is there a chance? Do you have a copy, and can you pitch Thrillmaker? Hopefully, or is there? Have you opened that door? Uh, possibly. <laughs> I wish I could say, yeah, we're totally going to do it, but it's not up to me and it's not up to Howard. It's up to, to DC and, and what their plans are. And I think DC's plans, their publishing uh, structure is very different from, than it was in the 90s. Sure. You could pitch stuff. You could just free, free – you could just come up and, and pitch them things and they would, and they would quote-unquote buy them. Oh, I'm going to buy this thing. You know, um, That's how I was able to do a giant monster uh, kaiju epic in 1999. Um, called Giant Killer with DC because they were open to to all kinds of stuff. They they were open to 
to a creator owned giant monster comic. Have you have you seen <laughs> you know, have you um, seen what they've been doing with the Hanna Barbera properties in the last couple of years? Uh, I have, and um, that stuff is amazing, and I would love to be working on it. Um, but uh, well, I wondered. Yeah, I have seen that stuff because I wondered. Yeah. I, I just had Howard on about a month ago talking about his mm-hmm. rough and rough ready. and ready. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it would Great seem to stuff, me man. that Thrillmaker would fit into that kind of idea. And I know it's not Hanna Barbera, but uh, I mean, certainly they've been experimenting with. Batman 66 and then even crossing yeah. that over with Wonder Woman 77 and all, mm-hmm. all these other great things so that it might be time. And yeah, I understand that it's DC's call, but yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know who you can there call is interest. This, there know. is interest from people at DC uh, in the Thrill Killer universe. Um, I heard a rumor. I haven't had it um, confirmed. confirmed one way or the other, but I heard a rumor that they do have plans to do stuff with, with the Thrill Killer characters because the Thrill Killer universe exists in that sort of group of universes okay <clears throat> like it's world number 27 or something like oh that. That's oh what I interesting heard, I, I didn't know that well they're 52 if, if they plus. do stuff they may do it without howard and oh. they may just give it to someone that they like or they see who they see as a, a as a person who's selling books for them you know what i'm saying like that that yeah. may happen no i understand well and that's their that's completely their prerogative well, I understand. To do. yeah you guys are we're, we're uh, for hire for listen it. i'm not i'm not like I'm not a cheerleader for that, obviously. Well, sure. I mean, I think Howard and I should go back and 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 do more. And um, yeah. <laughs> it's more. I think it's way more important to me than it is to Howard. Howard has his, you know, he's got his agenda oh, yeah. and mine. And, yeah. and my agenda isn't necessarily about Thrill Killer, but when it comes to those characters and how much fun I had and how how enjoyable it was to work on that and to be able to to sort of create this universe with those established characters. Was a was a blast. Well, and it hits all. You know? It hits all the right uh, notes as well in terms of not only a great comic book, but your designs lend themselves to incredible toys. They did toys for Thrill Killer, as I remember. They did. Didn't they it? made they made toys. They made a bat Batgirl and a Batman Thrill Killer uh, figures. Funko Pop did a, a special edition. I didn't know Batman that Thrill Killer figure. Hilarious. There's a game called I think it's called Arkham Knights. Uh, a video game where they, they have these skins where you yes. can play Batman with different, and there's a thrill killer Batman skin. I had no idea. That's fantastic. There's uh, do you guys do? You, forgive there's, me. There's um, uh, Hero Clicks that has a thrill killer set. Oh my god! Do you it's, get uh, any? It's like the Harley Quinn. Any royalties? DC bombshells? Any royalties from that stuff? No, because oh. uh, no. I'm sorry, no, buddy. because I don't own Batman. And I don't. Right. I'm not I the understand. author of the material. Well, that's disappointing. Howard, but uh, that's disappointing. Yeah, but you know, I mean. We know, you know, you know that going in. I hear you. you. Know, yeah, it, yeah. It, and it kind of goes with the territory. It's work made for hire, True. and that's how it works. Okay. But it's still cool to have that stuff. Well, I yeah. Mean, you know, I mean, um, <laughs> definitely. You know, it's it's neat to see that. I remember someone in in DC offices saying, "Man, I want a Robin jacket." I said, "Yeah, me too." Get to work. <laughs> to work on a Robin Letterman's jacket. How cool would that oh, be? Oh my so, god! And it's great to see cosplayers uh, here and there sure. uh, show up as that those characters, and it's just it's fun to see that it has a life. Yeah, beyond man. us, you know, no, it's a great compliment. Um, Absolutely, man. Fantastic. So the fact wow. that it was out of print for eight years, the the, the trade paperback, um, and it's coming back into print um, in July is really exciting. Um, this time around, it was originally supposed to be a hardcover, <clears throat> which was really exciting. That was just – I was like couldn't wait for that. Uh, so I said, listen, if you guys are doing a hardcover, you should really get Howard to write a, an, introdu- yeah, an introduction because yeah, he never wrote an introduction for the other two uh, uh, editions of the collection. 
Um, also, I have done a lot of thrill killer related artwork, pinups, and stuff like that in the in the intervening years. Sure. There's uh, there's um, there's concept art that I I did. I said you guys should do like a gallery. Would you like to do something like that? They said yes, totally. They're all, we're not sure about getting Howard to write the introduction because we don't know if we have enough space for that. And I was like, oh my god, it's a couple of extra pages. Yeah, really? I really don't know how things. I mean, I don't know how things work over <laughs> there, but I guess that is a you know that's a concern with the budget sure, or whatever. Sure. Um, adding a couple of extra, you know, or maybe anyway. paying Howard to do it might be the real. I don't even know if they pay people to write introductions. Maybe they do. Oh, that's but yeah, you're probably right. You know okay. that that would that could be a consideration. But they, but um, I kept working on them. I said, okay, well, if I'm, I've got this, uh, you know, here's, you know, here's this gallery we're going to do of artwork in the back, and they asked me to, to to do some commentary. So I wrote this commentary, which is almost like an afterword. And when they saw that, they realized it was unbalanced, and so they they needed Howard to come in and anchor it in the front, you know, or anchor the whole thing okay. and balance it with an introduction. I was so happy about that, and inter- and Howard's introduction is great. Fantastic. Um, and uh, but then they reported to me that um, now it was going to be a soft cover, and I don't know if it's because they added this extra stuff or they had some other considerations. But it's like okay, that's fine. But as long as it gets into people's hands, sure, and people can get it. I've heard that um, the trade paperback, the last printing of the trade paperback from eight years ago, goes for more than the single issues themselves. Um, there's been some some, I guess, buzz around Thrill Killer related to the fact that. Harley Quinn shows up in Thrill Killer 62, and at that point, when she showed up in the in that universe, in that book, she had not yet shown up in the DC universe. She had shown up in the Batman animated adventures comics, like Mad Love. Right, yeah. You know, remember that one of shot? Course. But she hadn't shown up as a character in the DCU yet, you know, in the, in the right, main in the universe. universe yeah. At the time, I mean, she was kind of a fringe character. Sure. Um, I always liked her, and I... <laughs> When when they gave us the okay to put a Harley Quinn in our story, I remember the summer that I was at San Diego, before I had really started working full speed on it, <clears throat> I had a conversation in a bar with uh, with Paul Dini about what she would look like, and there actually is a, somewhere there exists a, a a a bar napkin with a drawing by Paul. It's either on a bar napkin or it's in one of my my sketchbooks, of Paul's drawing of a of a 1960s Harley Quinn with a beehive hairdo and a mini skirt and these like tall boots and <laughs> <laughs> he was excited about it too. I'm sure he was. You know? That totally and, um, valley. Absolutely. I used uh, some of the, the ideas from that conversation to create her, her look. Um, and uh, so when that, when it came out a few years ago that, uh, that this was the case, I think it brought some, um, some collectors, uh, it sort of focused collectors interests on, on these back issues. So it's really great that they're, that they're putting it out again. And I know they've been talking about doing it for a couple of years. Um, so finally it's happening. So I, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's a, it's the story is, is great. Howard. I mean, just it's Howard. Like, I want to say it's Howard at his best. It's Howard at his best, not his, not necessarily his best work. I can't speak to that, but it's it's one of my favorite things, and it's not just because I'm involved with it. You know, stepping back and looking at it, it's the perfect thing for Howard to have written. Well, that's the thing. He just you know, it's jazzy, yeah. it's colorful, it's 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 tragic. You know, it's no. He's a great writer that can evoke those eras with clarity and fun, and and that's what makes it exciting. And I know what you mean because obviously Howard can go further in his creator own stuff than when he is working with licensed characters and in fact yeah. talked about that with rough and ready with me and as much because mm-hmm. i loved rough and ready and he said oh jesus man i wish you could see 
the first drafts that are much more mm-hmm. hardcore, much angrier, <laughs> much shakeny, more shakeny. Exactly, man. And I was laughing too. And it's like, oh, if only. Because, uh, but what we got, and he even said, he goes, yeah, he goes, there, you know, the Hanna-Barbera people were a little heavy-handed with what I could and couldn't do. Sure, but, yeah. But yeah, I love the finished happen, product. You know? I thought it was fantastic. And it was a great comment on today's media craziness with Rough and Ready. So, no, I and I remember, I mean, truly, Thrill Killer is one of my favorite projects that you've both done so uh and i, well, I think more. it's great that we can get unexp i think it's great that we can get unexpurgated howard and we can get um filtered howard yes. um because i don't think that either one of those suffers well it's a challenge for what it for what it it's is it's a creative challenge to to play exactly to color within the lines and and still mm-hmm. meet their concerns but still have yeah. something fun no and i agree with you and howard's that kind of writer no absolutely i think putting constrictions uh on an artist is is overall, it's not something you necessarily want to do, but we always have some kind of constriction sure. on us. Um, Deadline uh, for for whatever could be any yeah. So any 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 number of reasons we have constrictions on us, and um, that we either place on ourselves or that are placed upon us. And you know the the challenge is to work around those and still create the make the project um, sing. Yep. You know. Yep. Um, and I don't. And a real professional like Howard is going to hit the nail on the head every time. Absolutely, man. Absolutely, and uh, he he and he pounded Thrill Killer squarely in on the first knock. <laughs> I mean, just bam uh, on on both of those. So I'm I, I if anyone's who's listening to this is not familiar with Thrill Killer, when it comes out first week of July, you must go down and actually you should probably pre-order. prepare for it now yeah. and pre-order it. Yeah, um, and yeah, of course I'd love to go back and, and play in that world. You know, even if it means having uh, tight deadlines again that are crazy. <laughs> you know, because like we were saying, we, we were discussing before we started recording how my my schedule has changed because of the kickstarters, and how it's 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 not quite as crazy hectic and stressful um, as it as it is when you when you're working with those publishing deadlines. I mean, even when I was working on the Nocturnal's graphic novel that we that we funded through Kickstarter uh, in 2015, even when I was working on that. I knew I had readers, backers, waiting for it. And I still – that was good. That was good for me. But it, it still wasn't the sort of breathing down your neck kind of thing. Sure. I'm not saying the editors breathe down your neck. It, that's not what I'm saying. It's just – it's the deadline. It's that publishing schedule that you have to adhere to. Right. Uh, and if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. Well, stores you – know, you know, they've declared it. Stores are waiting for it. And yeah, and especially God forbid if it's coming out on what should be a monthly schedule. No, you're. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. That's the game. That's the monthly monthly schedule. Those schedules are a killer, sure. and they burn out artists faster than anything. Um, I don't miss that. I mean, I can handle it, but I don't miss it. And and you know, right now the current thing I'm working on, I, I we launched a well, I launched it um, a uh, Kickstarter. In I guess it was. Launched in uh, late February uh, for Nocturnal's art portfolio. I'm a big fan of the the portfolio yes. uh, format, and you just don't see that many. Yeah, anymore. tell people there's just not as popular. Because it is, yeah, that's kind of an old school, uh, wonderful <coughs> uh, comic artist presentation. Describe the yeah, describe I mean, the portfolio. Are, if so, when I was a kid uh, in the '80s. I, I lived in Modesto, and there was a comic shop that was near my high school called Bonanza Books. Mm-hmm. And my friend Derek, who was also crazy about comics and Frazetta and all this, you know, rights and all that stuff, we would go into this, we'd go into the comic shop uh, after school, and 
we get our comics and there'd be in the glass case these Frazetta portfolios. And so a, a Frazetta portfolio, like many most portfolios, would come in, in an envelope, 11 by 14 usually, uh, illustrated in black and white. And inside was a folder, which also illustrated, was stamped with a number, and it was it was signed by Frank in pencil, which we'd, st- we'd marvel at that. Wow, that's his actual signature. And then inside would be these six plates. Yep. And they you know, these they were black and white. Uh, sometimes they did them in color. Bernie Wrightson did several of when them. When you say did, plates, uh, ground were they plates are basically prints. Okay. Yeah. So what they call a plate is uh, it's an old term for, for the for the lithograph, I guess. So these prints would be in black and white, sometimes they'd be in color, mm-hmm. and they'd be very they'd be high end reproductions yes. of artwork. And sometimes it would be like say Later on, it would be like the covers to a certain book would be presented in just their their inked versions or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, for Frazetta, he was doing he would he would pick a he would do like a, a the three that came out like within a year of each other were Lord of the Rings, um, Kublai Khan, and Women of the Ages, and they're all these black and white wow. uh, pen and ink illustrations. Yeah. They're beautiful, yeah. and you. And they've been reproduced many times over in, in, in books since sure. then. But at the time, you really could only get all of that stuff if you got the portfolios. And they were limited, to, I think, to maybe 1,000 or 2,000 each. Yep. Um, Bernie Wrightson did uh, – uh, he did a Frankenstein portfolio before the book came out. Right. I remember the, that. He was still working on yes. it. Um, there was a great one that came out in the 80s called Apparitions that Bernie did. And it was four color plates and then it had a, a fifth black and white plate and a black and white illustrated uh, – uh, envelope. It was, it was beautiful. Howard Chaikin did quite a few portfolios. He did an Elric portfolio. He did a Sherlock Holmes portfolio. He did two Cody Starbuck uh, portfolios based on his character, yeah. um, and 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 some others. And um, so I started getting into these again because I started, I started seeing them on eBay, and I was sort of also just interested in the idea of maybe doing one. I've been wanting to do one for years. It just didn't seem like it was going to work out as far as like who's going to buy these, who's still co- who's still collecting these, who's going to publish sure. it. <laughs> so I um I said I, I I had been working on on um on some uh, I was uh, so last December it was it was Christmas time I had finished doing all the, uh, the 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 sketch plates for my in the night studio Kickstarter which was in night in the night studio was my last art book um and so I was finished with all the the, the art rewards for backers and I needed to focus back on my commission work and I had three nocturnals commissions that were kind of good sized pieces uh, that I was t- to do they weren't just pinups so I'm working on these things and I'm thinking wow these are coming out pretty good I like how these are coming out these are fun um, well, I should do something with these you know they're kind of too big to do an 11 they're outsized for 11 by 17 because they weren't that size um, I thought well I don't want to just throw them into an art book and I'm a little ways off from doing my next art book. And then just to hit me, like you should do a portfolio. This is the time to do a portfolio. So I, I, I got on the phone with, with my friend Kurt in Reno, who's a printer. He's been a printer for years. He prints all my, my, my prints that I sell at shows and things like that. And, uh, so, so we devised a way to create this portfolio and, and in a way that it wasn't going to like lose us a whole bunch of money. Sure. Because we were, you know, we were going to print up a bunch and then they weren't going to sell or something. Sure. And I thought, well, you know, we need to make it so that if we do a Kickstarter that it only sells so many of them, if it's a complete dog, we still don't lose money and people can still get what they want. Yeah. And digital printing is a big help there. Okay. Um, I got uh, the G Clays that we do for the master edition because we did two editions. I did the 
for the Nocturnal's art portfolio. We did a classic edition, which comes in an envelope with the plates and then some extra material like uh, like an artist sort of spotlight on the artist kind of thing. Okay. Um, and then we did the master edition, which is a box edition. And instead of just doing the regular printed plates, which are which are great quality, they're they're high quality. We went one step further and we did giclés on watercolor paper. Oh wow! So those those are, are very costly, and sure. I had those done through uh, Nakatomi Inc., who did Bernie Wright's and Cycle of the Werewolf portfolio okay. two years ago yep. through Kickstarter. Yep. It was another successful, beautiful Kickstarter. So I, I had been um, I had been sort of picking the brain of Tim Doyle, who's the the guy behind the, the company that runs the company and he'd been very nice about answering a lot of my questions. And so when it came time to talk about she clays, he ended up being the one to do the she clays. And, uh, so it all came together very quickly. Um, I, I knew that I wanted to do a portfolio with a, a slightly unique edge to it. When I do the nocturnals, I like there to be some kind of story, not just art. So I, I contacted a handful of uh, authors who I'm very fortunate to know who also are fans of the Nocturnals. And I asked them, I said, would you be interested in writing a one-page story to go with each of the images in the, in the uh, edition? This would be for the box master edition, and I call it a micro-anthology. So you, get, so you end up getting seven one-page stories. Uh, I wrote one of them, but the other six were written by – Christopher Golden, Bram Stoker Award winner. Sure. Um, Shauna McGuire, she won several awards for her work. Uh, Bracken McLeod, Tom Snagowski, who I know you know. Um, Taylor Grant, another award-winning, highly acclaimed writer. Uh, and James A. Moore, who's a really good buddy of mine and also a, a novelist and very acclaimed writer. These people are all super talented Super cool, and they all love Nocturnals, and I totally lucked out <laughs> that they all said, yes, we'll do it. Sounds like fun. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. This is going to be so great. And the, and, the, and the stories came in over the next two months. They're awesome. It was very daunting to write my own, <laughs> believe me, but I managed to do it somehow. Cool. And so that's that's a sort of a, a, a little extra sort of thing that comes in the box set that I'm really excited about. Um, and uh, – this whole thing just, like I said, just sort of came together. And, and the component that really came together at the end to make it all really function was the fact that it wasn't a Kickstarter that didn't take hold with the fans. It, it was successful. Huge. That's um, great. And, uh, so the campaign is over. So now that, that portfolio campaign is over. The campaign's over. We're talking – I'm talking with my printer about making um, the, the classic, the envelope edition available to people if they want to order Great. it, um, sort of latecomers, sure. but we haven't, right now I'm focusing on getting it well, out of and, and the art rewards because there's, because there's a lot of art rewards. Yes, indeed. Um, so I just, I just finished 47, seven by 10 drawings in the last couple of weeks. I have another 50 or 60, 11 by 14 drawings to do. <sighs> and then I have about 26 watercolors. To wow. Do, which are part of the, yeah, because that's another thing. It's about was great about it was the fact that it wasn't just a portfolio of printed work that was signed and numbered necessarily. You had the ability to get a piece of actual original artwork with your portfolio. And I don't know if that's something that is standard because I don't yeah I don't know of that. I understand. I don't know who does that either but and everything. No, that's great. That's one of the things about Kickstarter that has been a real important component for me is the original art component of anything I do. 
is there's people are, have a chance to get a piece of original artwork and not necessarily pay through the nose to get it. I hear it, you, man. You know? No, that's excellent. Um, and so it's 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 been a boon for me, and it keeps me busy, sure. and I love doing it. <laughs> and and you know, and and this is all in aid of of the next Nocturnal's graphic novel as well, because you know the first one came out um, a year ago. Well, no, it came out last summer, and so I'm working on the next one, the follow up. Fantastic. Uh, that's great. So these help these help fund my ability to to keep working on it. And so this summer, after all those those many drawings I mentioned to you are done in watercolors, I will be focusing on the graphic novel. And uh, when it gets to a certain point of finish, then we will launch the gra- the Kickstarter for the graphic novel, because I want there to be much less wait time between campaign and finished product. publication. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Yeah, so, so I'm you, excited about it. It's a lot. Of fun. Are you are you publishing it yourself? Are you working with uh, image or IDW or is another publisher to put this stuff out? Um, my publisher is Big Wow Art, which is Steve Morger, who used to run the Big Wow Comic Art Fest. It was his brainchild. Oh, okay. He was the major partner of that. Um, it was bought out by Silicon Valley Comic Con a few years ago. It's since reverted to him. But Steve Steve would publish uh, art books under the Big Wow Art uh, um uh, logo and so Steve and I had been wanting to do something with Nocturnals for a long time he'd already published like a f- four or five of my art books the hardcover color ones cool. and then we'd done a couple of kickstarters with those too <clears throat> so uh, so the uh, there there's a there's a quantity of material that, that Image put out that's still available through Image like the volume 2 hardcover is still available for, through Image we reprinted volume 1 um, as a trade paperback, that's still in print, so people can catch up with Nocturnals that way. That's cool. um, also all of it's available um, on Comicsology and uh, through Images Digital Comics platform. All the you know Google Play, all the the major are you, comic. Are you happy with the way the mm-hmm. digitals uh, look and everything on 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 tablets and stuff? Are you happy with the way your art looks? Yes, um, actually, my first. Yeah, I am very happy with it. My first uh, my first opportunity seeing my work digitally was. I was actually approached in um, 2013, I think, to do uh, Legends of the Dark Knight for Digital First, for DC Digital oh, First. Sure. So I actually wrote and illustrated a four-part arc uh, that has only that. been published digitally. That's great, man. Yeah, it's, it's, still, it's, it's obviously still up sure. there. It's the last four issues of the Dark Knight uh, digital run. Oh, my God. I love when that. When I say digital run, I mean the new run of Legends right. of the Dark Knight that were run digitally. Yeah, the, like you said, digital and first so, stuff. That, uh, yeah, Hank, so it's, 85, it's, it's issues 85 through 88. Um, it's called Six Fingers. <laughs> it's very dark and spooky, and it was a lot of fun to do. That's great. And, um, yeah, you can totally you can totally uh, download that. Um, that was the best. I, the digital first program that DC was doing back then that Hank Canals was running. Uh, one yep. of the best things that DC was doing in that era, and truly, that was great. The Adventures of Superman digital first that they did. The Wonder Woman series was great. The yeah. Batman sixty six stuff was first appearing that yeah. way before it would be published mm-hmm. and everything. No, it was incredibly well done. Well, what happened was I. Hank Hank approached me to do it, and um, this is on the cusp of Hank going on and, and sort of moving up in the, yeah. in the company. Yeah. So, but he was my editor for a while, which was kind of fun because Hank and I have known each other since the Malibu days. Oh, cool! Um, I used to do uh, I did some covers for Hank when he was editing some of the Ultraverse titles, sure. and uh, he was one that approached me and asked me to pitch you know some ideas for a, a Legend of the Dark Knight story. And I had uh, three that I pitched. He said I like two of them you can do whichever one you want so i picked the one that was the spookiest and 
obviously. <laughs> and um, that's another thing too is I, I people always think he only likes to do monsters, but I I would love to to write a crime um, series. In fact, I've got one called Underwood that I've been working on for a long time, and I have an artist now, John Hebink, who's interested, and I hope he sticks around. Um, but it's like a thirties um, it's a thirties detective sort of pulp thing that I that I'm. It's very heavily influenced by not just the work, of, but the life of Dashiell Hammett when he was living in, in San Francisco. When he was a Pinkerton uh, and, uh, detective and everything? Just Yeah, just after being a Pinkerton and, and, and getting into to, to writing for the Pulps and not really having that huge um, success because he hadn't written Maltese Falcon yet. But very cool. The character, the main character is, is the idea is if, if Dashiell Hammett was writing about a masked adventurer and not realizing that it was his sleepwalking self who he was writing about. <laughs> So he's this sort of somnambulistic uh, masked avenger, and the person chronicling his adventures is himself and completely unaware. So there's different levels to it. There's the there's the writer, there is the pulp character that he that he is at night, right. and then there's the pulp world that he's writing about, which is a whole other level, which is the the fictional character that he writes about. Even though he's writing based based on his adventures, he's still fictionalizing it and not realizing it's based on his actual <laughs> adventures. So, yeah, there's a lot of levels to it and stuff. And there's like a proto superhero character in it, and uh, there's a lot of uh, sort of like, it's set in the 30s. And um, I just completely threw myself into um, sort of the history and politics of uh, that that era. That's and it's something I've wanted to do for she's uh, so long. I mean, I think I I think I first conceived this thing in the in the, in the late 90s. It sounds in the and, best uh, way like Sandman Mystery Theater when uh, Matt Wagner and Steve Siegel were doing the early adventures of the uh, – I love that yeah, stuff. Yeah, man. I love that oh, stuff. no, I the agree. The funny thing is is that by the time that stuff had come out, I was firmly enmeshed thanks to Howard because Howard was the one that turned me on to crime fiction. Um, he had, was reading James Elroy and he was telling uh, Jim Hudnall and I about James Elroy. And I was into horror fiction at the time and science fiction and anything but crime fiction. And I pick up Black Dahlia by James Elroy, and it completely transformed um, my reading interests. Um, also, Torpedo 1936 by uh, the Spanish fellas, um, oh, Jordi Burnett. Yes. And, uh, I love those. Oh, my God. His writer. So um, beautiful. Abouli, I think, is his, the writer. What was his name again? Uh, I, it's... Abilene? I think I, yeah, name, that sounds right. And no, I love, um, I love the, uh, that's actually my first foray into crime fiction is reading torpedo. I should say not, not James Elroy. That's st- because you had this amoral character who was still compelling and oh, yeah. the artwork was great. The things that the people were doing and the stories are awful, but it still grabbed me. And, um, so then I, then I pick up, uh, I start, I put down Clyde Barker for a little bit and I pick up James Elroy. And then it was like, from there on, it was like, I was launched off into the world of, of, uh, Roman noir. You could say you know, you. crime fiction. Um, I was reading Elroy. I was reading Eugene Izzy. I, I started, uh, picking up the black, uh, mask, uh, stuff that was reprinting sure. like Hammett and Chandler and uh, Chester Himes and Charles Williford. Exactly and that's the stuff about. that really pushed me toward doing nocturnals because I wanted to do a crime fiction book. But I also wanted to put other elements of things I like to draw. So, like, I knew I wanted to do a crime fiction book, but I wanted to draw monsters. That's awesome, man. So now you've got uh, also coming out not only the thrill killer stuff, but uh, an Art of the Nocturnals uh, book coming out as well in July? Yeah. Um, this one was like a few years in the making, actually, because um, I had uh, planned with uh, Jim McLaughlin of Hero Initiative. 
to do a, uh, a fundraising um, project back in 2014 when the Nocturnals had turned 20. And so we printed up these uh, – they weren't sketch covers. We call them sketch boards. They, they kind of look the same size as a comic book cover, but it's not a whole comic. And it's got the logo on the front and everything. So it kind of looks like a sketch cover, but it's a board, like almost like a nice backing board cool. um, that you would have someone draw on at a comic shop or something. So we – we disseminated those to quite a few artists that 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 Jim that that, that Jim knows and that I know. Um, it wasn't easy to ask people. <laughs> there are a lot of people I, I was afraid to ask, <laughs> and so I didn't. But um, and then he would ask some people that that he he knew better than than I did and stuff like that. And then there were people who came up and asked if they could they could be involved. The problem is is when you're asking somebody to do something that's for charity, everyone usually says yes. The problem is fitting it into their of schedule, course. and we're all very busy trying to pay our bills. Sure, man. And I understand that. I have been. Uh, I I am one of those people who, you know, when Jim Jim asked me to do something for Hero Initiative, I always say yes. And then I'm always one of the people that he's like, okay, so I needed it two weeks ago. Where is right. it? You know. Yeah. So I totally get that. And um, so uh, so we we had disseminated quite a few of these and they were trickling in and it was it was basically coming to the point where we weren't going to we didn't have enough material yet to really do a kick-ass book okay. for the 20th anniversary. So I said, "Look, well let's just let it dangle for a while. Let's just let it keep going and we're going to get more and more in from people. I don't want to rush anyone. And also there's more people I want to approach." And so that kept going for the next couple of years where it would just they would keep coming in and or someone would surprise me with something. Um, and we just kind of set it on the back burner and said, you know, this is not – it's OK. You know, we don't have to be stuck with some kind of uh, you know, deadline that's not helping us. So now that this anniversary art book is coming out in uh, the end of June, um, it looks great by the way. I, I'm just – I'm really happy with what, the way it came out. We worked really hard on on the layout of it but just – the compiling of, of art from different artists has been uh, – well, it was you know, years in the making. Um, we have uh, pinups from people uh, as well as um, these, these sketchboards. Uh, Howard Chaikin contributed one last fall, Bill Sienkiewicz, uh, Walt Simonson. Um, Steve Rude did a crazy, crazy amazing painting of Halloween Girl that he just did for, for fun. That's great. Or just to show me up, I can't tell which, but I think it was both, maybe a little bit of both. But uh, it's beautiful, and that's in the book. There were pinups that we had, um, that I had collected from, uh, uh, you know, my peers and my my idols in during the '90s um, that are also in the book. So you've got some great stuff from like Bruce Tim and, and Mike Mignola. I don't know if they know they're in the book or not, but. They did the pinups at one time. Uh, Arthur Adams. Um, it's just Murderer's Row, man. That's a lot of great. <clears throat> Glenn Forbray did two two did? two pieces for Same it. Um, Stan Sakai. Excellent. I mean, it's just the list goes on, and they're they're gorgeous, they're flattering, they're fun. Uh, there's some uh, lesser known uh, names, uh, people I met through Facebook, who are just in, in just intensely good artists. Uh, some in comics, some in animation. Who uh, like Matt Smith. Um, who did Lake of Fire for Image uh, a year or two back? Okay. Um, he did some pieces that are just beautiful. Uh, Thomas Perkins. There's just um, there's just so many people, and uh, so that's coming out. And um, it also has two um, short stories that I wrote, and they were illustrated by other people. Uh, these both appeared in Carnival of Beasts, 
back in 2008, I want to say. So they're not – they haven't been seen by a lot of people, uh, especially not recently, and they haven't been reprinted either. So um, one was drawn by Victor Kalvachev, uh, Blue Estate. Yes. Amazing artist. The other one by um, Ruben Martinez, whose name you might not be familiar with because he doesn't really do comics, but he draws comics like a fiend. He actually works for Mattel. He's a he's a concept artist for Mattel, but in his spare time, he loves to draw spooky stuff, and he's so good. Um, but he's really hard to pin down, and I somehow I managed to pin him down for a short story. So um, those will be in the book as well. Christopher Golden, who first interviewed me about Nocturnals in the pages of Hero Illustrated magazine <laughs> back in 95, he wrote the introduction. And I'm just, uh, I'm just pleased with Punch, and I hope that it, above all things, um, raises money for, for Hero yeah, Initiative absolutely. to help our brothers in need, yeah, man. our brothers and sisters in need no, it's, in the industry. Absolutely. No, uh, Hero Initiative is a wonderful organization, and – uh, every time they're at conventions, it's it's a great opportunity for people to uh, contribute. And also, the great thing is, a lot of times they'll have artists at the booth to do quick sketches and things like that, mm-hmm. so you can get a, a piece of art from somebody and also give to the cause because you know these are all freelance guys, and especially, I mean, you know, you and I aren't too far apart in age and everything, where it's like, mm-hmm. hey, that's a you know retirement age comes. God, uh, poor um, William Messrs. Loeb's, uh, you know, and and his. Yep. His uh, current troubles and everything has been well documented. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, man. These are yeah. wonderful people that have entertained us for decades with their work. And um, there's no there's no pension. There's no, you know, and a lot of time. I mean, thank God the creator-owned uh, business is getting better now. But there are a bunch of people yeah. that really they're the, the, the top of the mountain for them was to work for a DC and Marvel for 10 years or however many years. And but it's work for hire, and there's there's no you know pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for these guys for the work they did in a lot of ways, and yeah. so that's why it's great that the Hero Initiative is out there to help these people out when they need it. Yeah, it's funny because um, when you look at uh, say these Marvel movies that have been coming out, and Jack Kirby's name is is invariably in the credits somewhere, and and along with Stans, and you see Stans, you know stands appearing in the sure. in the stories and stuff i often think if, if if jack was still around what his role would be and how he would be doing and would he need the help of the hero initiative or would he be okay because of these films and to be honest i really don't know the answer there um i suspect that without the hero initiative there would be some hard times for a lot of uh elder statesmen of comics um and they're there aren't as many around as there used to be uh, who were working in that climate where there were no benefits. You were just working your butt off. I mean, Gene Colan, uh, you know, he he was one of those guys. John Buscema was one yep. of those guys who were just working and working. I mean, John was what, doing what, five books a month or something, doing breakdowns, three to five, wow. I mean, a book a week or wow. something like that. And Gene's doing the same thing at one point to, to make ends meet. They had families. Yeah. No, I know. You know, um, things have changed quite a bit. You know, I mentioned my my uh, my entertainment lawyer, Harris Miller, and I'm going to say something about Harris right now, which is that Harris is one of those people that helped a lot of creators um, get a better deal yes. from companies that wanted to get a, give a better deal that were more than willing to do it. And um, so when I negotiated my first deal – with DC, with well, Harris negotiated it for me. Um, he came away having having um, made strides, 
And so when it came time to put together the the, the creator-owned line Bravira with Malibu, Harris was the one who put that together. And again, more strides were made for, for creators. Um, you know, Harris is one of those sort of unsung heroes, but I feel like his name needs to be mentioned. Yeah, here. you know, it's it's come uh, up o- only a couple times at Word Balloon in this you know vein of creators getting what they deserve. And I know he's he is still out there, right? Uh, actively. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's yeah. no, and I think I, I don't know if Howard mentioned him, but someone mentioned him in connection to Howard uh, recently on a, on a Word Balloon. And uh, yeah, no, and I also think that because of the cry from the Kirby estate and also fans. Uh, I think the conglomerates that now control these comic book companies realize it's better to give these people a decent amount of money of, yeah, you know something? You did mm-hmm. create that character that we just used on the CW. Here's a check. And I, I know it started with the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, uh, you know, mm-hmm. from about 12 years ago or whatever. And I would talk to people like Neil Adams and Chuck Dixon and some of these other guys, and it's like, yeah, they used uh, this Batcave thing that I came up with, and I got a decent check for that. And even um, the great Len Wein, who deserved a lot more money than he ultimately got for creating Wolverine sure. and the various things that he created, at least got Definitely. a decent check that helped him in his final years and was significant. It, again, owed much more but at least again, it was a start. Yeah, yeah. I'll, pu- I'll say yeah. this. It was a start. Yeah. Um, and I think it needs to only be better. I mean, yeah. the amount of money that's being made is obscene yeah. to kick back a fraction to the creators is the least you can do. The least you can do for <laughs> yeah, these people. Man. You know what I mean? We hear these stories that Stan Lee is losing millions of dollars here and there. Um, whether they're you know they're they're true or not, and you think, well, good for Stan. You know, Stan Stan you know had a good deal. That deal should have been extended to Jack Kirby and to other people. Yes. you know, and um, Ditko should be you know, making I'm, I'm, money whether he wants it or not. And uh, the other surviving Alan Moore. Yeah, well, Alan, you know, I think I think I Alan know gets Alan paid, gets, but and I and honestly. I, I'm glad that he. I know he always gives his because he's been very candid about it. He gives his movie mm-hmm. money to you know his co-creators and stuff. So David Lloyd for V for right. Vendetta, Gibbons for Watchmen, right. obviously and stuff. But I also know that right. he he still gets his royalty checks from Watchmen every year from DC, and it's so sure. and that's no as small and, and absolutely he deserves every penny. I, you know, so yeah. so yeah. No, I know. don't. Um, I don't fault DC. Um, I I seriously. Uh, you know, I feel like I've always gotten a, a really uh, fair shake from them, and cool. they've been generous in a lot of ways too. Um, I uh, I think that um, you know it is tough for for creators these days whether they're getting benefits or not, and most of us aren't. We don't have a guild, we don't have right. a union. Right. Um, animators have a union, screenwriters have a union, actors have a union, graphic artists have a union, but comic book artists don't, and we probably should yeah. have something because you know you. There are times of feast and there are times of famine. And there are times where just you're kind of just in limbo in between. I've been a freelancer, which means I'm effectively unemployed or self-employed since 1988. <clears throat> I had a, I've had a lot of stressful months. I've had a lot of stressful years. And thank goodness for Kickstarter because I can reach these people who are these, you know, the backers and supporters and the readers and the fans and the collectors – who are are out there 
and you know, that's the one thing that's been so frustrating is when you have an idea that you want for something you want to do, you have to go to this person, you have to go to that person, this entity, that publisher, that right. editor, and you have to sort of get their approval. You have to you have to sell them on it, you know. And that's I'm not saying it shouldn't be that way, but it's frustrating as a as a creator, a writer, a storyteller, an artist, whatever you want to call it, to 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 be stymied by that. You know, I, I've had I've had these 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 things overtake me and it happens to, I think it happens to every creative person is you get overtaken by a concept or an idea or a project that you really are burning to do it and there's no outlet. Right. So thank goodness for Kickstarter because the only thing that stops me from doing more is that you can really just only do one at a time and there's only one of me because <laughs> there's so many things I want to do. You know yeah, what I mean? I, mean, sure. I, I want to do the next Nocturnal's uh, graphic novel but I also want to do something with Giant Killer. I also would like to just try something completely different and new, you know. And if I can't get if I can't get a, a comic book publisher to approve a black and white illustrated cheap comic um, that I'm only writing and not even drawing, um, then where else am I going right. to go? You yes. know. And not everybody has those pockets. I and mean, that's the thing that used to make me. It still makes me crazy how s- certain artists and writer teams can put out a beautiful looking book through image where there's no money up front, right? How Rick Remender was doing it for years. Yes. How in the world is he getting these guys to draw these books for no money up front? How do you make that work? I could never I could never fathom how that was going to work for I me. I understand. How am I supposed to pay the bills and 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 finish a comic book? Oh, oh, you've got some side art, you could do some commissions. Yeah, but when I'm doing that, I have to I'm not three people. I'm not one person with eight arms. I can only do so much, sure. you know. Absolutely. So I, I, my hat's off to those industrious folk that can do it. Um, but uh, I, um, I'm, I, I would not divorce myself from the comic book community or the industry in, in the way that some Kickstarter projects uh, do. They'll, the, their Kickstarter project is specifically for the Kickstarter yes, audience only. Yes. Um, I want to make what I do available to the retailers and their fans. Now, they don't always come my way. As much as I would like them to, but I always go their way. You know, I don't want to be this person who's cut off from from that, sure. and that means not cutting yourself off from Diamond, uh, which I also don't want to do. Because um, even you know, even though the, the pay structure is different when you're dealing with the direct market and Diamond and the retailers and all that kind of stuff, you know, as compared to Kickstarter going and then going directly to your backers. Um, I, I just w- I want the stuff to reach as many people as it can. Um, it's, and the reason why I think the digital platform is so great, I don't even know how the digital platform is doing. I, I don't even know if people are reading digital comics. I mean, I know that some people are, but <laughs> what's funny is that I've heard just as many people say, oh, I can't wait for this to go digital. Is this ever going to go digital? Then I've heard actually maybe more people say, well, your digital thing, when's it going to be printed? When's your, your Batman thing going to be sure. printed as a floppy? I go, well, you can just get it now. Have you even seen the di- – I don't read digital comics. Like, oh, well, you, maybe you should rethink that because when I looked at it with the guided view and the, yeah. the intelligence behind the way that they present the material, I was really impressed. Yes. <clears throat> um, just like I was pr- impressed with the Madefire stuff. The yes, Madefire's – yes, absolutely. I was just like, this is this is genius. I love this. You know. Um, I think there's room for all that stuff. I just wish we had more readers. I think that's what it comes down to is, is the readership. Yeah, you know, um, there was a time when things that weren't superhero related 
had uh, a lot more lift than they do now. Um, you know, Image, I think, has made huge strides in, in that way with uh, presenting a sort of non-traditional, non-superhero yeah. work. Um, huge strides. I think we, we could do even well, better. Well, definitely. Um, and I don't. And I don't know if it's I, – I, I don't think it's just the, the, a problem for the publishers themselves, but I think it, it's, it's wider than that. It's societal. It's, I mean I have I, – I, I've, I've raised or I'm raising five kids, okay? Of those five kids, two of them want to be comic book artists, but they don't really read a lot of comics. Interesting. Um, and the other three didn't really read a lot of comics. <clears throat> I don't know if it's because it was just sort of dad's thing. But I really – I can tell you this. There's video games out right. there. There's DVDs out there. There's YouTube. There's so much to – I mean I, I'm not – it's not like I came up with this idea on my own. Everyone knows this. I mean it's <laughs> – we live in a, a world where there's just many, many distractions for Absolutely. all of us. I mean I can't even – I can't even wake up in the morning without looking at my phone to see if they figured out a way to get rid of Trump I or understand. something like that you know, or to, <laughs> or to see what messages there are. Face it. That's why we ever even watch the news anymore. I hear you. Well, some of us anyway. I hear you. You can cut that out if that's no, 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 no. But, it's uh, fine. It's totally I, fine. Um, and I, I, yeah. My point is, is that it's it's just it's so we're so <laughs> locked in. Yeah. You know, it's like we don't need a chip in our brain. We just just it's right there. Well, you, but also you, it's, that would be superfluous. Specifically about comics and stuff. No, the the amount of entertainment options that today's kids have are obviously. There's dozens, if not hundreds, more than there were when you and I were going to Seven Eleven or wherever. And the they don't require was. reading, right? right. <laughs> they don't require no, right, reading. But also, the good news is it's the saddest statement in the world. But I also think the good news is you get things like, and and I, I don't even know where it currently is right now. But a few years ago, maybe ten or fifteen years ago, when manga kind of you know really hit the you know consciousness yeah. of. of young women and saying, Oh, I like this. And all of a sudden we had a bunch of new comic book readers and that's how they got into comics. So as, as yeah. And, know, and the manga influence is now in the mainstream right. of non manga books very, very heavily. You can see oh. that. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, um, no, it's an up, it's a it's whole a, new ball. And it's game. an uphill battle <laughs> in a lot of it's ways. It's an uphill battle to get people to read. And in fact, it's funny. Before we were talking, I happened to see Jimmy Kimmel on his show did a little bit about going around and asking people on the street to just name any book. As he even said, it could be the Bible. It could be Fifty Shades of Grey. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Just name mm-hmm. a book. And you know, the, and obviously they chose. They vid- they showed all the people that had no. You know, I can't name a book because I haven't read a book in. I can't name a book. Sad? Not even have you read a book lately? Just name yeah, a I, book. I, I, yeah, just name a book. And and I'll I'll tell you the truth. The producers, the Jimmy Kimmel producers, kind of outwitted themselves because one guy said the Jungle Book, and someone goes, "No, that's a movie." And it's like, <laughs> no, actually, that was originally a book. Wow. And shame on you <laughs> for correcting someone who said that. <laughs> Because that just shows that your to own my stupidity. kids right now. It's one of our story time books. <laughs> oh, that's I great. Them. That, but yeah, exactly. I was, um, seriously, man, I'm watching the. My video. kids I'm love like, to be read ass. to. I mean, saying? I have a, I have a 12 year old and a and a seven year old, and they love to be read to. Chartreuse and I, uh, we read to love them. Um, although she she reads to them more than I do, but I, and I love reading out loud. I love getting into sure. the characters and trying to do. I try and do. The, I try and make the performance of reading entertaining to them. Even if it means that three minutes in they're going to be asleep, 
I, you know, I still do my best. Um, but, uh, I just, yeah, I mean, you know, we all want to be entertained. Um, we all want to hear stories. Uh, I think most of us, uh, but what I'm, what I'm coming to realize from, from being a parent is that there's a generation or of children or maybe two generations now who want to be part of the story. And I think that's the, one of the major appeals of video games is, and I've heard this from my own kids is it's not just that you're, there's a story unfolding. You're in the story. You're part of the story. You're participating in it. And it's like, that is something that, um, has taken a while to sink in. I don't know how it pertains to what I do or what comic book, um, storytellers do or storytellers in general do, um, outside of that industry. But it de- definitely is something that bears, I don't know, thinking Absolutely. about possibly. Sure. Um, I just, I'm just happy that if I can just eke out my little existence as a storyteller, and if it means that the circle of people who are who want to hear that story are smaller than maybe say they were in the '90s or even 15 years ago, um, then that's okay because there's people out there that want to hear the stories, sure. and as long as they're out there, then I will tell Attaboy. them. And you know what more can you do? No, I understand that. Well, I'm glad you're you know you haven't given up and you shouldn't give up, give up because uh, I I don't think I can. I mean, my there's stuff just pops in your head every that's day. That's the best answer. You know, there's just absolutely. Th- yep. No, well, keep. I think if you're a writer or a storyteller, you you can't turn off the faucet. You can't turn off the flow. Right. I mean, there are people who do. I mean, you, it's funny when you hear about um, you know having writer's block and stuff. I understand what that's about, but. I don't know that writer's block necessarily comes in the form of 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 that that tap being turned off as far as ideas goes because ideas come all the time, you know. Um, and the the trick is how do I take this idea and do something with it, whether it just needs to become something in my in my computer files or something in my I notebooks, you. you know. Absolutely. So. I, my hats off to people who do it, who do it, who, who write monthly books, because um, I know that's that's really tough. Um, because having the idea is one thing, but turning it into a product, a finished product, is a whole that's other animal. Absolutely, man. No, I, and I'm, you know, again, uh, I'm glad that you have found a rhythm with crowdfunding to be able to crank out books at, a, at as you said, knowing that there's a deadline, but it's a manageable deadline and not. I, you know, hey man. Again, as as we get older, uh, it's it's a young man's game to be able to crank things out the way that sure. the monthly comics demand that you do. And I do think yeah. that there's something to be said for as you get older to take more time uh, and more thought and and do it. It was funny. Walt uh, Walters was saying uh, a couple of years ago he did an arc of Avengers when when Bendis was writing it still, and I remember mm-hmm. him saying in an interview with me, he's like, you know, I just want to see if I could still do it. It's been a long time since I've really mm-hmm. had to do the monthly grind. And it's like, you know, it yeah. felt like hearing it like from an athlete or something like that going, you know, can I still hit a home run if I want to? Let's, let's see if yeah. I can. Yeah. I trained for it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And it was cool. And then look what he did. He did. I don't know if he did Ragnarok after that or before after. that, but that rag, the Ragnarok stuff. Amazing. Yeah. Oh no, it's beautiful. It's stuff he's doing with Laura and, Beautiful Absolutely. work, um, but that's the thing. It was fun to see him like it's a dynamo. Yeah. yeah, no, he's no, he's great. And again, 
you know, uh, 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 like I said, Walter, Walter, and, and Dave, the nicest guys in comics, and uh, Weezy's a sweetheart as well, as you well know. But yeah, it's no, it's it's oh, terrific, yeah. and I um, again, I really appreciate the creators that have figured out how to make crowdfunding work for them, and that they're able to do their passion projects. I'm so glad Bernie got to do what he did until the end, you know, rights and yeah. everything, and yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, that's the thing, because I don't want these, I, I don't want these uh, creators to stop because they can't, or are either they can't do the grind anymore, or also that the new crop of editors, it's not that they're being mean or anything, they're just not thinking of these old-timers to say, hey, come back and do something. You know, you we, you should be working with yeah, us. Yeah, I don't think there's an onus on them doing that. I don't think that is what's, uh, I mean, I don't. You know, if you think about you know the sort of excitement of, of being in the position of a publisher or a, or an editor and getting together and talking about the next exciting thing you're going to do, I don't think that these guys are thinking, "What old timer can we right. get?" Right. <laughs> They're thinking, "Who's hot? Who look, check this well, guy? Who's out. hot? Who's Holy undiscovered? Right? Who's I mean, cheap? Listen, who's, who's John, cheaper? when I started, I was one of those guys. When I started years ago, I had done some." Um, I was almost done with art school, and I was doing these uh, pinups of superhero character, painted superheroes like Cat, Catwoman, and Batman, and Iron Man, and you name it, for friends, for fun. Sure. You know, I wasn't even doing commissions yet. I wasn't even at that point. I was, I was just barely uh, still a student, and I had done my first painted book, The Black Terror with Eclipse. Sure. I got that gig while I was still a student, and then um, my work was being shown around uh i was in a room with uh, i wasn't in the room my work was in the room with mike carlin and annie helfer looking at this stuff that came uh by me and um they were looking for an artist for jim hudnell's psycho uh-huh. project and they hadn't pinned down an artist yet so i guess jim sent them a packet of my of my color some color xeroxes of my stuff and they were looking at my stuff and i was that guy at that moment and they called me on the phone and Carlin said, "Hey, this is my Carlin DC Comics." I could, it was like, it was so life changing. Sure. <laughs> yeah, Andy Helfer's in here. He says he wants you to do a Justice League, Justice League graphic novel. He's not going to do a Justice League graphic novel. He's doing this thing first. Get out of here, <laughs> you know. And I was like, "Oh wow, these guys are these guys are fun." And then I even heard that uh, Mike Mignola had been in the offices because he lived in New York at the time. He'd been in the offices, and he came by and he was looking over my stuff. And he's like, oh, this, this isn't too bad. And who? This seems familiar. And then it hit him that he was that I was this kid that he had met who was still an art student when he when uh, when he met sure. me. Um, he'd come in to talk to one of my teachers uh, during a class, and the teacher said, "Hey, you should take this kid under your wing." And so uh, I, Mike used to haze me occasionally, um, and I actually learned a lot from that stuff. But he was like, "Ah, this guy. I remember. We me- I remember this guy," and. Um, so like <clears throat> that was a moment where I was fresh and new and they were like, yes, to everything for about 10 years. And that was great. And so today I, I know nothing. what's changed. What's changed since then? Very little's changed since then. They want to know if I can make his deadlines. They want to know if he's right for the thing. They want to know if the work is going to, is going to jazz up the, uh, the fan base you know, the sure. readers. This all, it's nothing's changed. No, no. you're right. Um, but then you have these perennial guys, these guys who are evergreen, like George Perez, Walt Simonson, you know Howard. Um, <clears throat> those, these guys never get old for anybody. Agreed. They're the true masters and Agreed. stuff. And um, 
and I, you know, to to have had a, a you know a, a long run in comics is no small feat for sure. Um, and uh, to have a fan base that you've built up because of of your of your years in the business is um. Well, it's 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 definitely it's definitely uh, something I appreciate boy. even more now. Well, that's great, man. And again, I'm glad you've got your core audience that responds when you announce a new project. And uh, it sounds terrific. I'm really excited for what you got coming up. And uh, when you are ready for the next uh, graphic novel Kickstarter, feel free to let me know, and we'll uh, try and help you with the campaign as well. But uh, I appreciate absolutely, that, man. But I'm I'm really happy that you got some uh, good uh, product coming up in the in the uh, near future. Again. Uh, the repre- uh, representation of uh, the Thrill Killer stuff uh, coming up at the end of, or I should say, beginning of July for that. Yeah, it's going to be the best of the of the three times it's been in print. It'll be the best because it's got Howard's introduction and it's got uh, a great sort of concept pinup gallery in the back. So, uh, and also, I'm sure that the printing is going to even be more improved. The the quality of printing is just been improving over Excellent. the years and and then um so i mean that's no that's no small thing for me and then the hero initiative when you're yeah. painted go ahead you no know, go ahead i was gonna say when you're painted when you're when you're doing painted art uh, in the 90s you're <laughs> the book comes back to you and you go whoa yeah <laughs> this is what it looks like you know um but that's improved absolutely so much no years, digitally so. yeah digital uh you know processing has certainly upped the game for you guys and that's why and i'm glad that also in digital you know, so yeah, man, Comicsology, but also your uh, go to your local comic stores. Make sure you get your uh, Thrill Killer uh, graphic novel uh, ordered uh, up front for the trade paperback, and then also uh, the is it called the Nocturnals Anniversary Collection? What's it called? It's called, it's called the Nocturnals Anniversary Art there Book from Hero Nation. Excellent, man. Yeah, yeah. and so. order that, and that and that comes out at the end of June. So uh, very yeah. exciting. Man. When I'm in. Uh, when I'm in Chicago, we'll be I'll be signing those. Um, it's like you were talking about before about how uh, Hero Initiative uh, will have artists show up at their booth and stuff. I'll be I'll be either at or adjacent to the Hero Initiative booth the, the whole show for the for Wizard World Chicago, um, and I will probably be sketching. The last time I did uh, a Hero Initiative appearance, I think I was doing some little watercolors too. So. Well, knowing that you're there, uh, Dan, makes me possibly want to go. I did blow off uh, Wizard Chicago last year, but managed to have some lunches and dinners with old friends uh, while they were in town. And, I mean, that's that's what I usually do is like, all right, who's going to be there? And, you know, is it worth going to the convention? And if not, at the very least, let me try and uh, peg him down for a drink or a meal or something like that in the after hours. Barcon. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. But nice going, Dan. I'm really glad. Good to catch up, and uh, congrats on – you know, keeping things going because you know, you're you're one of those uh, distinct artists that uh, deserve the attention and uh, the uh, the audience to, for your stuff. So keep it up. Thank you so much for having me, John. Um, it's been great to talk to you, and I hope we can do it again. Nice chat with Dan Brarett, and hope you enjoyed it on today's Word Balloon. Brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much via Patreon. Their support continues to make Word Balloon happen and thrive. As a, as a fun podcast that I hope you all enjoy. So if you want to join the cause and subscribe to Word Balloon, you can do that by clicking on the ad on wordballoon.com, the Patreon ad, or go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at instocktrades.com. Among the Dan Brereton books you can get, you can get Nocturnal's Sinister Path, the graphic novel, volume one. It's uh, 25% off. 
and uh, it opens the door to uh, the Nocturnal's world. Doc Horror, uh, Evening, and all their friends. The Gun Witch, of course. Great characters in the uh, Nocturnal's books. Again, 25% off, $14.96. You can also get things like the Goddess and the Monster hardcover. Uh, that came out from Image. It's 42% off, $17.39. Uh, there's Nocturnal's Legend. A great hardcover uh, that also features uh, Dan's amazing work on the Nocturnals. 25% off, $29.99. And then there's uh, Volume 2 of the Nocturnals, Dark Forever and Other Tales. It's 42% off, $20.29. And as I said, that great Red Sonia's uh, book, Red Sonia's Travels, Trade Paperback Volume 2, Mike Oming and Dan Bird, and among uh, the creative uh, talents involved with this, a great uh, Joseph Michael Linzer cover on that book as well 30% off it is $20.99 from InStockTrades.com thanks for listening to Word Balloon today hope you enjoyed today's episode more great stuff coming for June Uh, I know I've been uh, I already have several episodes in the can and uh, you can expect a lot of great conversations coming up for June and a lot of other great ones already scheduled Uh, it's going to be a fun month a lot of uh, newcomers And uh, old favorites as well, returning to Word Balloon, and uh, some great conversations. Can't wait to share them with you. So expect more uh, Word Balloon podcasts dropping in the very near future. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018.